0: to retire the frozen chosen thing. Um, You know, like when I first came into the Presbyterian Church, I heard people say that a lot, and I was like, man, I don't know what these people are talking about. Um, We're not the frozen chosen, at least not anymore. We've thought out quite a bit. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we've been talking about um, last week. I mentioned how we're just going to take a month or so, and as the Puritans would do, we'd just take this passage that we're about to read and just wring it dry and look at it from every angle you can look at it. And it's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 through 9. We're going to do this until the end of June, and then um, at the beginning of July. Uh, we're going to stay on our theme of spiritual maturity, and we're going to look at Jonah, who's an example of someone who is supposed to be spiritually mature, but isn't. That was Jonah. Jonah was supposed to be this spiritually mature prophet. But if you read through the book of Jonah, there's no evidence of his spiritual maturity. And then after we're done with the book of Jonah, we're actually going to take up the book of Ruth, and we're going to look at it from the opposite angle, where Ruth is supposed to be spiritually immature. But all through the book, what do you notice? Radical spiritual maturity from someone who is looked at as a pagan. Wonderful vignettes in God's word of spiritual maturity. That's been our theme for the year, and we're going to stay on that. And then by the end of the year, we're going to end with um, an Advent series. So with that said, let us read God's most holy and precious word. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received, and heard, and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Spirit, this is your word. And these are your people. You know exactly what they need. We have all come in here with different struggles. We've come in here with different pressures, different joys, different things that we're looking forward to. We are a complex mixture of people. And yet in your sovereign wisdom, you have drawn us together to participate in this thing we call worship, but more importantly, this thing we call fellowship with you. And so since you know us, you know what we need, may something that is said today through the singing, through the reading of scripture, even through this brief time of instruction may it minister to our hearts and our minds in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, last week when we um, went through this text, we began by talking about that list that I just read, things of true, things that are honorable, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are of a good report things that are virtuous, things that inspire praise. We talked about how that list isn't just things that you and I should think about. But we were getting a window into how you and I were designed. We were designed to think that way. When God created your brain, when he created your mind, when he created you, he designed you to think in that way, but not only think in that way, but to live in that way. That's what we said last week. And then we said, look, we started off with truth. We actually looked at truth and honorable together because we said that those were couplets. But we focused most on truth because we said that, look, unless you order your life by what's true, what's actually true, then you can't order your life by anything else on that list. Truth must be held high. If you're living a life filled with lies, if you don't recognize who you are, that you are a sinner in need of grace, and that your only hope in this life is Jesus Christ and him crucified, if you do not live with that reality, that reality of creation, fall and redemption, in light of who you are and in light of who Jesus is, if you don't live your life by that truth, then there is no way else you can live in this world. You can't practice any other of those virtues. So truth is central. And today, I fully came in here to start off by talking about things that were righteous and pure. And then I got sidetracked. As I often do, I got sidetracked. And I got hung up on the word honorable. It's the second word in this list. Now, if you have another translation, you probably have noble or honest or good right? You probably have one of those words. But for some reason, I got hung up on honorable. And the more and more I thought about that word, the more and more I said, you know what? I have to come in and talk about this word honorable. What does the word honorable mean? Well, the word honorable means that which is worthy of reverence. Or if I could say it a different way, that which inspires awe. That's what honorable means. That's what Paul is saying here. He said that you and I should think and live in such a way that we recognize awe, that we are in wonder of God and his creation. In fact, do you realize that God has created you with a mechanism inside of you for awe and wonder? Do you realize that when God created you, he created you with this mechanism of amazement inside of you? And even the, little, the smallest children have it. I remember um, about two years ago, my youngest, um, for some reason, I ended up with him, just only him that day. And I was so excited because I'm like, yes, we can go on a walk. You know, I could get in my 10,000 steps. It's going to be great. And so I took him outside, and I sat him down, and I turned to grab our stroller. And by the time I turned back around, he was on his hands and knees following a millipede. And I mean, literally, he was on his hands and knees just looking at the millipede. And he started pointing at me and saying, Daddy, look. And so I looked. I was like, what is he looking at? And I was like, oh, it's just a millipede. Not a big deal. But he was enthralled by this millipede. And I'm looking at him, and I said, you know, that's cute, but it's time to move on. You know, I got to go on this walk that I've been looking forward to. But he kept at it. And, you know, being the good father that I try to be, I allowed this to continue for about 10 minutes. But by this time, my patience was running short. It's just a stupid millipede. It's time to move on now. So what did I do? I just like took my foot up and smashed it. I didn't do that. Calm down. <laughs> you guys think I'm an awful human being. Of course I didn't do that. No, I didn't. And the reason why I didn't do that is because in that moment, I realized that he was captivated by the world he lived in. In that moment, I realized that he was using a mechanism that I hadn't used in a while. My youngest son was so enthralled by the world he lived in. He was in such amazement, such wonder. And here it is, his father, who is supposed to cultivate this. His father, who is supposed to sharing this joy with him was completely out of touch you know I don't know when it happened but in that moment I realized that I had lost my ability that mechanism to just experience wonder and awe I didn't have that anymore and and in that moment, I realized that I need to start praying and going to the Lord and asking Him to create that again in my soul because awe is important. Wonder is important. That I'm not talking necessarily that I need to be on my hands and knees looking at millipedes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the mechanism for awe, the mechanism for wonder. That's what I needed. To have back. Now look, awe is important. It's important for two reasons. The first is awe drives us to worship. Awe drives us to worship. You cannot worship the Lord if you don't have a mechanism for awe and wonder. If you're not thinking about that, if that's not a part of you, right? That feeling, that swelling feeling that you get, when you're in worship and you hear a song that you love. Or we are around mountains. Just the other day I was taking a walk over my, in my neighborhood. And as I crested the hill and I looked straight ahead. That feeling that swelled up in my soul to see this aspect of God's creation. That was so vast and so beautiful. That it drove me to worship. That's why you need awe. But not only that. The second thing I want us to see is that awe actually produces peace, a sweet peace in a soul. I want to look at these two things, and I want to encourage us today to think about these things and then live in light of these things, to spark that awe mechanism inside of us. So the first one is this, awe drives us to worship. If you look at this passage, there's so much wrapped up in that one word at the beginning of verse number eight. Finally, right? Finally, brothers, Paul says here, the entire book of Philippians is a book trying to encourage the church of God at Philippi to worship rightly, to have excitement and joy in worship. In fact, the the very key word for the book of Philippians is joy, to get them to feel joy, to get them to be excited about what God is doing, even in the midst of temptation or even in the midst of persecution. And here it is, he's telling them, finally, brothers, here is my last bit of exhortation to you. Think about these things that inspire truth, and think about these things that are honorable or these things that inspire awe. That's that's true of all of them, but especially as we think about this thing called awe, how awe drives us to worship. Now look, what I'm about to do is I'm going to take us through the Bible and just offer some vignettes of how God uses this mechanism for worship inside of us to draw us to worship him. In other words, I'm going to do a Bible study, an old-fashioned Bible study today, right? The first is in in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. So we look at the story of Adam and Eve. Notice how God uses fellow image bearers to inspire awe. Adam was placed in the garden, and he didn't have anyone else that looked like him and mirrored him. And God says, this is not good. So God put him asleep, and God took out a rib, and he fashioned a woman. And he brought this woman, God brought this woman to Adam. And Adam was just in awe of Eve. Think, think with me for a moment. Up to this point, Adam had not only, not only did Adam, had Adam never seen another human being, But I would even say Adam had never seen himself. There was no mirrors. Doubtless there were any standing water. Adam had never seen himself. He had never seen another human being. And all of a sudden, God brings him this other human being, a woman that was so different from him, but yet so beautiful. And what does he do when he sees this woman? He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He immediately breaks out in doxology. Why? Because he saw a beautiful woman. If you go if you go um, in, oh, what's that name? What's that place? It's the cat place. There's a place with a bunch of cats, and there's a, there's a, somebody knows the name of that place? What is it called? Yeah, they had a cat cafe, right? Never been in that place. I'm allergic to cats. But you might have gone in the cat, the cat uh, you know, place, whatever, you know, if that's your thing. But there's a sign right after that that always catches my attention. And it's a sign of a woman. Her back is turned uh, to to you. And she's dressed in, in a wedding outfit. And the guy is standing in front of her doing this. Anybody remember that picture? He's in complete awe of her. She's beautiful. And that beauty struck his heart. Now, in that moment, when you see beauty like that, husbands, Right? When you see the beauty of your wife. Or wise when you see uh, the strength and nobility of your husbands. We're meant to look at these things and give God glory for his creation. There's nothing wrong with that. That's meant to inspire awe. Notice another one in God's word. And there are several. If you are looking for a Bible study, go through it. There's many of them there. The second one is the temple. Right, Exodus chapter twenty-two, all the way down to verse number uh, chapter forty. If you do your Bible reading, right, every year when you do your Bible reading, sometimes you're tempted to skip over those chapters because all that's happening is, you know, uh, the the tent should be this long and those things should be curved in this way, and you're sitting there like, why is all of this important? Why is it important that we know how big the, te- the temple or the tabernacle should look? Why is it that we should know that it was made out of bronze? Why should we know that it's made out of this fine piece of, uh, you know, fine piece of, of fabric? Why is all of that important? Because all of those things are meant to inspire awe. When people came to the tabernacle and the temple, their hearts and mind was drawn to the beauty that they were seeing. And because their heart and mind was drawn to the beauty that they were seeing immediately, that these sort of horizontal beauty was meant to point us upwards. The grandeur and glory of who God is. Or what about David? David in Psalm 8 David says this, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you have set in place. Or in Psalm 19, verse 1, when he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim this handiwork. What is David doing in that moment? He's looking at natural creation. What is manifested by God in creation? And he's saying, this is absolutely beautiful. Of course it points us to a creator. You know, in the 1920s and the 1930s, one of the biggest mistakes Christians did, and this is mostly through the fundamentalist movement and other movements, is that we started telling ourselves that science is irredeemable, and therefore we should get out of the business of doing science. That's a huge mistake. Because, listen to me, especially you young people, even as you study science today, study it. Learn it. Know it. Why? Because these things are meant to point us to God. Newton, Boyle, Pascal, all of these men understood that. And when they did science, that the science that they were doing, Copernicus, you go on and on and on. All of what they were doing were meant to point them to the glory of God. And so when you go outside at night and you see the stars and you see the moon, Don't just look at it and say, oh, I've seen that before. Look at it and drink deeply. Wonder about it. Because those things are designed, handcrafted by God to point us to him. Uh, There's a book. It was written around about 2014. It was written written by uh, a psychologist. And one of the things that he said was that we live in a world that it's evident to everyone. The book is actually called Awe. Paul Tripp is his name. Paul Tripp wrote the book, and it's called Awe. And Paul Paul Tripp said, look, we live in a world that's created to inspire awe. And we've been given the mechanism for awe. So when we see something beautiful, it's meant to grab our attention and point us back to God. Everything from a flower to the weirdest looking cat. To to the weirdest looking bug. All of those things are meant to point us to the glory and majesty of God. Now perhaps my absolute favorite example of awe in all of scripture is Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 through 6. And how God uses his Shekinah glory, his manifest presence to bring Isaiah to a knowledge of him. Remember how Isaiah 6 starts. It says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. That is not just mere historical detail. That's actually paramount to the text. If you understand anything about the time that Isaiah lived in, King Uzziah was the paradigmatic king. King Uzziah came in and he instituted a standing army. King Uzziah came in and provided food for everyone in Israel. King Uzziah came in and brought a measure of safety. He protected Israel. To them, King Uzziah was a god. And then the Bible says that he died. And his life, Isaiah's life, was completely turned upside down. He thought for sure the kingdom would end. There's nothing else to be done. In fact, that's why he went to the temple. He went to the temple because he figured, there's nothing else I could do. I'm going to stay here until they come and kill us all. But in that moment of him being downtrodden, in that moment of him thinking all hope is lost, what happened? He sees God high and lifted up, and his train filling the entire temple, this place. Imagine if this place was filled with the train of God. It was surrounding him completely. And then the Bible says that he gets this vision of heavenly worship with the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's what he sees. He sees heavenly worship. And what does he say after he sees heavenly worship? I love this text. The Bible says he looks at it and he says, I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Think about that for a moment. He's not saying, I'm a swearer. He's not saying, I have a filthy mouth. That's not what he's saying at all. He isn't making a value judgment about himself. Here's what he's saying, and it's so beautiful. He's saying, look, if that's what true worship looks like, if that's what true awe looks like, then what we do on the Sabbath is blasphemy. It no, it's nowhere near that. No one that I know of worships God like that. No one that I, um, that I know of on this earth who is around me. No one is in awe of God like that. And he says, I am undone because he realizes that he has an awe problem. And beloved, let me, let me say something to you. There is, and even this is true of me being the pastor, every Lord's Day, One of my prayers is that I say, God, please don't let this become rote. Don't let this become something I just do. What a waste if I came in here Sunday after Sunday and my heart my soul was unmoved by worship. What a waste if we came inside here every Sunday and our hearts aren't profoundly shaped by just the imagery and the knowledge that God exists and His Spirit is in here. And we're not captivated by that. Look, I know, it's difficult wrangling children in the pew. I get that. And I know it's hard because we live lives in which all sorts of things are vying for our attention. But hear me, Christian, we need to have this mechanism in our heart by which we look up and we see the Lord high and lifted up. Because that's what we are created for. That's what we are created for. That's what Isaiah saw. He got a glimpse of the Lord. He got a glimpse for who God is. Paul Tripp said this in his book, and it just stood out to me when I read it several years ago now. He said, I came to see that I was wired for awe. The awe of something sits at the bottom of everything I say and do. But I wasn't just wired for, for awe, I was wired for awe of God. No other awe, he says, satisfies the soul. No other awe can give my heart the peace, rest, and security that it seeks. Hear me today, I, I, I remember the day I came to know the Lord. And I was sitting in the church and and rightly, I think I was sitting on this side of the church, because it was two pews just like this. I was sitting on that side, and the pastor was preaching. And I remember thinking, this guy's a wild man. He was, like, jumping up and down and flailing his arms and screaming. And I remember thinking, okay, that, that guy is crazy, but I believe everything he says. And in that moment, I have never felt in my life such peace. I never felt such blessing i've never felt such rest such security why because i saw the lord high and lifted up what is what is all of our tasks by the way all of our task is the mirror and represent that reality what is what is witnessing what is sharing our faith putting the lord high and lifted up what's the goal of our life To make sure Christ is high and lifted up. That's what Uzziah saw, and it changed him. And that's, if you name the name of Christ, that's what has changed you. And if you do not know Christ, then you are missing out on the wonder and joy of what it means to be in union and communion with him. Which brings me to my second and final point, and it's this. All brings profound peace. All brings profound peace. If you... If you read Acts 16, and then you read through the book of Philippians, one of the things you recognize immediately is that Philippi was a place of complete and utter turmoil. Complete and utter turmoil. It was a place where there were idols, there was busyness, it was a complete mess. But one of the things you see as Paul and Silas went into Philippi, they met three people and immediately the place was turned upside down. The first person they met was Lydia, this hard-charging businesswoman who was frantically going about selling her purple, fine linen. And Paul met her, and Paul told her about Jesus, and he brought peace to her life. The second person Paul met was a woman, a slave girl, a young slave girl, who was cursing at them and throwing jeers at them, and finally Paul stopped, and Paul looked at her, and Paul rebuked the demon, and the demon left her, and she was brought to peace. The third person was uh, the Philippian jailer, and the Philippian jailer was about to kill himself because Paul and others were released from prison by the power of the Holy Spirit, and what happened? Paul came in, and Paul said, stop, you don't have to kill yourself, we're here, and what does Paul do? Paul baptized him and his family, which shows you that he was a Presbyterian. More on that at another time, right? More on that at another time. But the point is, what happened when Paul went into Philippi? He brought peace. By the way, who do you think this letter was written to? It was written to Lydia. It was written to that slave girl. It was written to the Philippian jailer. They were the people in this church. And what does Paul tell them in verse number seven? He says, look, in verse number six, he says, pray. But in verse number seven, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then look at verse number nine. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. They experienced peace because they were in awe of God. True, all of that. Peace can be said of all of these. When we we have truth, we're in peace. When we do things that are just, we're in peace. And we're going to get to that. But this honorable, when they were in complete awe of God, they were at peace. Look, Christianity is a religion, a faith of peace. But we're also a religion and faith of awe. Complete awe. One last thing I want to say is this, and this is the big takeaway. Big takeaway is this, that you and I must cultivate a spirit and a lifestyle of awe. All of these, uh, all of these adjectives mentioned in verse number eight, all of them are adjectives. They, they've given scholars fits because one of the things they realize is what is the antecedent to all of these adjectives? But if you read this text, the antecedent to all of these adjectives is none other than Jesus Christ. Who should we be in awe of the most? Jesus. And what's remarkable to me is that at the end of Jesus' life, he was treated with profound dishonor. He was beaten. He was marred. And at the end of it, he put a cr- they put a crown of thorns on his head. They they treated him with complete disregard. Even mockingly, they put up a sign that says, Hail, King of the Jews. Everything about his life toward the end was completely disrespectful. But yet, God said, through that process of the cross, Philippians 2, he became highly exalted and was given a name above every other name. And it was through his humiliation. Through him being dishonored, honor was bestowed upon all of us. Isn't that glorious? That's the gospel. That right now, if you name the name of Christ, honor has been placed on you because your Lord was dishonored. Beloved, we now have the ability to experience awe because of Jesus. Let's live in light of that awe. Don't be passive in your awe. Cultivate that spirit of wonder and joy in your soul. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, whew. Lord, we're not sufficient for these things. Even though we were designed for awe, that mechanism for awe is often dulled because of sin. Lord, uh, This world does everything it can to obscure the beauty and wonder and awe of what it means to love you and to serve you. But help us as your people to fight to keep that mechanism alive and well. That we pause daily to consider your goodness and your grace through all that you've given us. Everything in this world points to you. Help us to remember that and to live in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.